Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Just help your kid grow up in a world without slime. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. We don't need to hire a handyman. I can fix that. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I don't ever want to be the, the skunk at the picnic. I don't want to do it. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I wouldn't bring a little kid to New York City. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're going to talk about more things that backfired for us and our listeners. <laughs> There's always a thing and a thing. It's a part two. There were so many things and so many things that we needed a part two. But first, mailbag. Oh, yes. Wait a minute. Time for mailbag. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the mailbag. So this mailbag is in response to an Ask Amy I did a couple of weeks ago about a picky eater. And in particular, this picky eater was a, a seven-year-old who had uh, stopped eating. Like his list of foods was actually getting smaller instead of bigger. And some foods were making him gag. And, you know, the mom was looking for advice. So Laura wrote in to say, thank you for that episode. It is frustrating and saddening to see your child refuse foods they once love and try to narrow their already limited accepted foods. It's even rarer to find people that understand or have experience with this. Laura says it was a very awesome speech therapist that helped us get started with food chaining, which we talk about in the Ask Amy. She was the one that taught me that coercing your child or forcing them to eat can be counterproductive for children that face this particular struggle. But I didn't have any mom friends that dealt with this, so I would get a slew of unhelpful advice when they would see it happening. But food chaining has really helped us. And then, then she also says, can I give the feather in the cap part? Thank you for your podcast, Laura says, because it's awesome. I always get a great laugh and I feel uplifted. Just in case we have a straggler out there who might have missed your Ask Amy, explain what food chaining is. It's meeting your picky eater very much where they are. This child will eat Honey Nut Cheerios and only Honey Nut Cheerios. Yes. And only if the bee is on the front of the box and not on the back of the box. Like whatever that reality is, that's your kid's reality. So the first thing you do is, okay, let's get a very special bowl that will be for your Honey Nut Cheerios. And now you have a very special bowl of the Honey Nut Cheerios go in there. Then once that bowl has been accepted with the Honey Nut Cheerios, you might be like, 
look at these chocolate peanut butter Cheerios. They look amazing. And that, like, like that's enough of a step. And it might take you a couple of weeks, but you start with the accepted food in a new format. Then you move very similar foods into that same format. And then you start to branch out. Or if, say, they will only eat this shape frozen waffle, we're going to cut it up because then once it's cut up, then they can start to eat other things that are cut up. But it's extremely slow and gradual. I could not support this more. I had a kid for whom things being on the plate was a huge victory. Not eating them, just tolerating them on the plate. There was a time where tolerating them in the same room was a big deal. Yeah. He would move to another room if there was like mustard on someone's plate. Mm -hmm. And so I am a firm believer in slow steps. Yes. And it might seem... When you're sitting on the outside, it's like, oh, my God, why do you only eat the crackers and the bag with the owl on them and no other kind of crackers? It's just crackers. My son used to eat penne, but not oh, macaroni. Like, for sure. And it took a while. But if you meet your kid where they are and ignore the people who are telling you you have to do it faster or differently, then it's worth it. Then it won't backfire. But to bring up something that was in the last episode, <laughs> in the last backfired episode, somebody was saying, like, my kid never had a problem going to the dentist until I let him watch a Daniel Tiger episode about going to the dentist. Food chaining could be a little bit tweet tweet for a kid who eats whatever you put in front of her. This is only for a child who has anxiety around trying new foods. For sure. One of the things that I still think about from part one is all of the people who were confronted in supermarkets or in any place being told... Uh, what's in your cart or why are you doing this? Why are there toothbrushes in the kitchen? Whatever it is. Anyone who is weighing in on your kid and it doesn't make sense to you, and there's going to be a million of these people. I mean, I had an incredibly picky eater that had some underlying sensory stuff going on. Yes, yes. And I just find that saying thank you for that helpful suggestion to everyone who makes suggestions about how my kids should or shouldn't eat is the way to go. Yeah, because I think Laura was saying her friends weren't helpful. These, you know, you have to have the mindset they're intending to be helpful. They don't get it. They don't know what it's like. And that's why there's this podcast. You can always find <laughs> We get it. The point is, if you are in this situation, there are people out there who can help you. You might need a little help with this and you can go get help. Amy, we've seen a lot in our day. Mm -hmm. And we're here to say we've seen you because we've seen a lot in our day. And you know what we've seen, Amy? A lot of things that have backfired. Okay, let's get to them. Let's dive in. I feel that this is a realm that I have completely given up on and abandoned, and it's arts and crafts. Oh. To me, arts and crafts only happens at school. Arts and crafts backfire. My sister-in-law, who was just an amazing mom, I say was because her children are now out of college, but she always had the drawer with the art and the glitter and everyone was making stuff and projects. And I reject crafts outright and I'm not afraid to say it, Amy. Wow. I feel like we've had many happy hours in our house with arts and crafts, but... They were open-ended. One, no glitter. There shouldn't be glitter in the world. No glitter. No glitter, friends. And two, we weren't trying to make something particular. It just was like, here's some construction paper and scissors and have at it, everybody. I did not encourage arts and crafts at all. And all of my kids have gone through a phase where they really like drawing and art. And so my son, I think I've talked about this before, who has some motor skills 
things going on. He, I bought him a light board and that did not backfire. So if you're looking, this is a good, inexpensive gift. Well, explain the light board because it makes me think of Lightbrite, which is an old deluxe alert. Back in my day, it's just a big, like a pane of glass, like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, but it lights up and it's hard. You plug it in. Like it's backlit. Yeah, backlit. Uh-huh. Then you put a picture on top of it and then you put a blank piece of paper on top of that and you can trace. Okay. And so for my son who was having trouble as a drawer, you know, he would get frustrated because he would try to draw like his favorite character and it would look uh, not great. <laughs> and so... The light board, you could put like a drawing down. He could print stuff off the internet and then really draw like the Marvel characters he liked and they would look really good, which was really satisfying to him. And I will say, developed like kind of a passion for free hand drawing later and will never be probably a professional artist, but loves to draw. And then... Both of my other kids, my son's in a huge drawing phase right now, which is resulting in the 800 pieces of paper all over the house with one drawing on them. Problematic. That can't be touched or thrown away, right, or moved. Well, I mean, they definitely get thrown away, but it's more just the thing of like his art is I draw something on a piece of paper and then fling it into the air for no apparent reason. I mean, it's just they're everywhere. (laughs) It's like. Just litter of art everywhere. And I do just throw them away. So my kids do draw independently, but I will say I don't encourage it. Yeah, I feel like arts and crafts doesn't have to be a bad thing. But I'm noticing Rachel says any art and craft she'd ever tried with her daughter, which makes me think that this is either a very young child or a very elaborate art and craft. I mean, I'm very much the like hang out with those scissors over there. We had a group of like uh, arts and crafts scissors. I recommend this purchase. I think it cost, I found it at like Michael's for $15. And it's like a caddy that has like 12 different kinds of scissors, child safe scissors. But each one does a weird funky thing when it cuts, makes like a different pattern. And I don't do anything with it. Like I'm not like labeling my spices with it or anything, but it just keeps little kids very busy, but it's open-ended. You're not trying to do anything with it except cut cool things that then get thrown away. Talk to me about the 8 million small pieces of paper that result, though, all over your living room. In the paper recycling, you know, as soon as they're done. You just scoop them up and throw them away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's maybe what it is. It's like, we're just making art to make art, and then when it's over, it goes away, or I might take a picture of it, and then it all goes thrown out or recycled. It's not this gingerbread house turned out nothing like we thought it would. I was resisting takeaways, but I'm going to say I have two takeaways from this. Number one, no glitter. Number two, no outcomes. So you just are like, let's make whatever we want to make. Yeah. All right, Amy, let's move to the ultimate backfire. I believe maybe it's just the age of my kids. Is this disappearing from the world? Slime. It better be. Are people still doing this? Crystal says, what a nightmare. I thought I would be fun and let two kids play with slime at the kitchen counter. After the first kid gets it in his hair and the second kid enters a sensory meltdown, (laughs) I threw it away and swore off slime. What kind of monster gives a three-year-old slime for Christmas? What did I do to you? (laughs) I mean, I feel like I lived through the heyday of slime. And I say that in the worst possible way. I feel that my kids were... It's like, what am I trying to say? I mean, they were like at the apex of like the right age for slime and a time where slime was considered acceptable. I got at least three different birthday presents that were make your own slime at home. Yes. And I also did at least two different YouTube let's all make slime days. And then at birthday parties in goodie bags, which, you know, I have very negative feelings about already. They would get slime to bring home. And I have at least one couch in my house that still has a slime stain on it. They would just 
take slime out on the couch and then sit on it and there would just be like ground slime. Just help your kid grow up in a world without slime. If you're listening to this and you have a very little child, they should just never know what that word is. Just don't introduce the concept. I feel I may be wrong and I may just be wrong because I'm the time has passed and my kids are a different age, but I feel like I'm not hearing about slime. It was so hot for I'm thinking I'm hoping slime was a fad. But let me tell you, if you hear the word slime, run for your life. Head for the hills. Let's make slime an old deluxe alert in 2022. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Amazing. We absolutely must. Speaking of non-open-ended art projects that are very stressful, Hillary says any DIY remodeling project with her spouse backfires. Have you done this, Amy? Is your husband like Joe Handyman? No, if it involves like wiring or like the inside of something, he might want to crack at that. But he doesn't want to like grout the bathroom or anything like that. No, he would definitely let me outsource that. I feel I mean, this is such a bad, hacky, like wife stand up comedy joke, but I'm living it. I'm soaking in it, Amy, which is the thing. of (laughs) Okay, tell us. Do tell. We don't need to hire a handyman. I can fix that. And then the bathroom that has the like open like it's a he's going to put the new fixture that lets the water come out into the bathtub the faucet right we don't need a handyman he's going to do it he's a plumber he's a plumber as well i didn't know this he is very handy but it's sometimes step one is take off the faucet so now i have a bathroom with like a giant gaping hole in the wall where the tub should be filling from a faucet and then like three weeks later i'm the person going what is happening here? I want, and luckily I have a good friend who is married to a contractor and I always call him and I'm just like, it's time to save my marriage. I need you to come over and fix whatever this thing is that's broken. And I will say my husband is generally much better about this and he has gotten better about finishing the things he started. But early in our marriage, The I can fix this. I think I put on Facebook a while ago, my husband attacking our washer dryer with like a giant wrench. And I was taking bets from the members of our Facebook group about whether or not he would fix it or this would end up. He was trying to get it to dry more efficiently. Like he got into the innards and got out all like the gunk and lint and stuff that meant it wasn't actually drying the clothes, as I recall. Correct. And now, was this a result of my photojournalism or would this have happened naturally? We've got the Heisenberg uncertainty principle at play. Like you can't study something without changing the outcome. I believe that possibly if I had not been documenting it for the Facebook page, that project might have been two thirds complete for several months. It might still be. You might still have like a wrench on your laundry room floor and the half of the dryer. Correct. And a dryer that doesn't actually function. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I believe the pressure of the eyes of the What Fresh Health podcast Facebook group meant that he did absolutely complete that assignment. So group accountability is the best way. But beware the DIY project with the spouse. It's the road to marital discord, Amy. I think you got to remove one of the two things in that equation, either the DIY part or the spouse part. Or maybe just remove both and call your friend who's a contractor. And maybe there's the project. Maybe just remove the project. (laughs) All right, Amy, we'll be back with even more things that backfired. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, 
I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need. And yes, Even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies. And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H, HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, here's something that backfired. Lauren says, flying with a quote-unquote lap child who is 18 months or more, do not do it. The extra money is worth it, especially on a full flight. Second this, Lauren, because they they hit 18 months and then they hit that like, I want to get down, right? When they sort of like slip to the floor and wherever you're holding them, whenever they're sitting. Yeah, this is the toughest age to fly with. I'm going to throw that out there, like 18 to 24 months. I just was flying with a couple, you know, they were on our flight and they had a, like a 21 month old. And I said, that's the hardest time to fly. It's the hardest age because they are like mobile, like ever ready bunny, like levels of energy and cannot sit still, but also like aren't old enough to focus on an episode of whatever kids are watching these days. (laughs) Oh, the kids, Daniel Tiger, whatever it is. Yeah, like once they hit three, they'll watch, like, you mean I get to watch as many Daniel Tigers as I want until we get there and have animal crackers? I'll see you later. But 18 to 24 months, no. Yeah, and the only thing they want to do is their new special skill, walking. Like, that's the only thing they're interested in, (laughs) and it's the one thing they can't do. They're like, but that's my only superpower, walking right now is the only thing (laughs) I can do that's exciting. No walking. Yeah. Agree, but I will say... I am having a moment where I'm like, did this happen to me or did I see it on TikTok? There is some weird thing where like some kids at certain ages have to be in a stroller seat if they're going to be on the plane just buckled in. So you better check that too. What do you mean? 
Like if you buy a seat for your kid who's under two. Oh, yeah. You have to have a thing. Yeah, yeah. They have to be in a seat. You can't just plop them down next to you because that's then considered an empty seat. And even if you paid for it, they try to sit someone there and they're like, you could put that kid on your lap. It's a whole thing. So be careful. I used to fly when my kids were little, we used to fly quite a bit to visit family and we would have a car seat. I'll find a link and put it in the show notes because you could probably find a hand-me-down on eBay or something because it's the kind of thing that you love, but you use two or three times and you don't need anymore. It was a car seat that turned into like a really suitcase kind of thing, basically. Mm. So you could use it on the plane, strap them right in. It was FAA approved. And then you could wheel them in it through the airport. And then you could use it like in your rental car or whatever. When you got to your destination, it was also your, your sort of travel booster. My roommate from college, her husband used it when they flew and they had a little kid, would book the seat between them, would buy it. But I guess you couldn't put the kid's name on it. Something happened. I don't know. Anyway, or maybe he wanted another extra seat. They had some scratch, I guess. And he would book that seat under the name Empty J Seat. I don't know. It was a whole thing. Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> yeah, Bodie McBoatface. He always had a seat that was empty J seat. I guess he took an extra seat. I don't know what was going on. But anyway, I don't think it works out that well. You have to be careful about paying for an empty seat because sometimes if it's really empty and the fight is full, they'll sit someone there. They'll just put somebody there. Yeah. And you'll be like, wait, I paid for it. And they're like, that's actually not how airlines work. You're in the skies now. You're totally <laughs> under our auspices. Sorry. Speaking of extra, Tara did a homemade escape room for her 10-year-old's birthday party. And she says it didn't work out like we hoped. And no one escaped. They're all still there. I'm worried to say this because I know people make their living making these, but I think escape rooms in general could fall into this well, this backfired category. I hosted an escape room for 10 of my friends and, and they still talk about it angrily. I did an escape room because you said, I will pull the receipts. You said on this podcast that it was really fun. But did you do it virtual? Oh, no, you did a virtual one. So the virtual ones I found really fun. The ones in real life, we also went to maybe kind of a low rent one. It was like a weird place. It was in New York City. And it was just basically like an abandoned apartment with a bunch of like locked file cabinets. It wasn't that fun. You know, it was early in the days of the escape room. And now you go to ones. I went to ones with my kids that were like, they're like a full spaceship and you have to solve codes. And let me tell you, I had to take two of my kids out the back door. It's so claustrophobic. There's like you're on a spaceship simulation and there's things that are like you are running out of oxygen. Two of my kids lost their minds. We did it. We went on vacation this summer with my extended family and I did it with a bunch of like 14 to 17 year olds and my adult brother and I did it. And I was stressed going in because I was like, this isn't going to end well. Everybody's going to be yelling and screaming at each other. And it was totally stressful, but we did beat it. Like we got out in like 58 minutes and you had 60 minutes and my kids like they loved it. So I was going to try it again, but I won't do my own, Tara. At least I have been warned now that I don't need to create my own escape room. Oh God, don't create an escape room, please. The, I did it with a bunch of like very type A high achievers and it was not the right activity. It was very like, and it was funny because what ended up happening, we did not escape. And it was really like some of the smartest people I know who are like super, you know, achiever, high education, but it's like everyone outthought it. They were like, it can't be just this. It has to be that like there's some, you know, Aeschylus reference buried in the it's thing. The Greek letter. Right. <laughs> like, no, no, it was just like turn this dot knob and leave, you know. It's like that Nicole Kidman, uh, Hugh Grant show on HBO. I mean, spoiler alert, but everybody's watched up by now. What was that called? The Awakening, The Killing, The Thrilling. What was that called? Yes. 
the murdering. I don't know. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. And in, in the first episode, it was like, he did it. And then I'm like, he, it couldn't be that simple. He didn't do it. And then he was like, yeah, he did it. No, he didn't have to watch that whole show. It was who you thought it was. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what our escape room was like. Exactly. Amy, Kylie wants you to know salt dough is not something to mess around with. It's going to backfire. What's that? Like homemade Play-Doh? Homemade Play-Doh. Salt dough. Kylie says her littlest loved painting pumpkins. So we tried salt dough cutouts. And all she did during the painting process was throw the paint and paintbrushes. Okay, so this is very complicated, Kylie. This is arts and crafts again, too, though. You're going. You're making salt dough and then you're painting it also? Well, that's it. It's like a colorless Play-Doh and then you paint it or you could dye it. It's uh, homemade Play-Doh, but I wouldn't go down this road, frankly. But then again, like I am the Cassandra of all arts and crafts. So maybe some people like doing these things with their children. If I had an outdoor picnic table, I'd like make Play-Doh, but... It's pretty, like I said, open-ended. Like, here's the Play-Doh. Here's the spaghetti factory thing that you can squeeze and it comes out. But I'm not going to, like, sit there and do it with you. I'm going to load the dishwasher and look over every once in a while. My children, I realize after I see other people with their children, are completely, they had, like, a very austere childhood in these ways. I was with my sister-in-law. We would go to the lake with them and she every afternoon in like wet kids with bathing suits inside would be taking out Play-Doh. And I will say the kids played with it for two hours. It was all the little girls. They made a restaurant. You would come in. We have stuff for you. We're serving you this. We're serving you that. And then I heard later that the cleaning company fined them because there was so much Play-Doh in the rug and it took them hours to get it oh, out. And so no. I was like, uh, that's why I don't mess with play I don't care how fun it is. I don't care. Imaginative play enriches your mind. We are not doing Play-Doh. It could be sort of a backyard picnic table sort of activity, but it doesn't need to be in the house, I guess. Yeah, but outdoor Play-Doh, then you got rocks in it and sticks and mud. It's disgusting. Again, Play-Doh costs like $5. <laughs> you just throw it out. Lindsay taps into our theme of our first episode, and I think it's worth a quick revisit. Anything that starts with wooden it be fun too, or it will be challenging but fun. See my first solo trip with my kids post-divorce where I took them skiing. Do you know the amount of stuff you have to take skiing? I also locked myself on the balcony that trip to watch them ski. It was seven degrees of Vermont and I left my coat and jacket inside because I had, quote, just stepped out for a moment, unquote. I cannot think of any activity, including like surgery, although I've never done it, that I would less want to do solo than take kids skiing. Like I did it with my spouse and I almost didn't survive the sort of stress and packing and where's this and where's that and getting out the door. Like I hate it and I can't imagine doing it by yourself. We skied a lot as kids and we were just doing a whole ski reminiscence and I never, uh, skiing, it's very stressful. It's a lot of like getting up in the morning and you got to get there or you're going to miss the first lift and, da, 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 and it's not compatible with my personality. We occasionally go skiing. There's a ski mountain like 45 minutes north of us that has like 10 slopes and it's not that expensive, although it's still really expensive. But we go and people we go with are like, oh, well, it's much nicer to go where there's more. I'm like, this is fine for me. It's just mm -hmm. I skiing is too high maintenance for me, especially the part where you lock yourself on the balcony. Yeah. I mean, I don't like to ski. So I guess that's probably it. It's like the payoff is not worth it to me. Like I find it extremely stressful. And then I wait for the fun part. And the fun part is once everybody's boots are off and everybody's home again watching 
TV <laughs> back at the hotel room. We started our kids skiing at eight through 11. I would never in a million years, and I said this to my husband, there's no way I would take an 18 month old skiing. <laughs> but those are the kids who end up being amazing skiers, but not worth it to me. No kids under five are skiing in my life. And they're not playing with Play-Doh either, Amy. Corollary to that topic, no skiing with toddlers. Alexa says no camping with toddlers. Do not recommend. We just posted an article on our Facebook page about Danish babies and how important it is for kids to be outside and take risks and frolic. And a lot of people were saying this is why we do camping. But I have to say, you will drag me camping against my will never. Yeah. I mean, you can go to the woods and, you know, whittle a stick and then come home and sleep in your cozy bed and, you know, have story time with mom. You don't need to do it. You don't need to sleep there when you're two. I find that the, you know, degree of difficulty of anything involving, my husband recently took a red eye home, toddler scream the entire time. You know, it's like, you get, as we say, way out over your skis when you try to take a kid a place to sleep. Because if it goes wrong, it goes so terrifically wrong. Helen says that she took her kid. Wouldn't it be fun? Once we were in our sleeping bags, our son started screaming. The screaming was so bad that people were coming out of their tents with flashlights wondering what was wrong. I ended up sleeping in the car, front seat with my kid on top of me, waking up every hour. At 5 a.m., I told my husband, pack up. We are leaving before anyone wakes up. <laughs> and this is it. Like the overnight flight, we once, because of a complicated thing, we went somewhere that we were guests of someone. And as a treat, they flew us first class, which is lovely. But I had a nine-month-old with me, and it was the most stressful flight of my life. Because if my kid's in coach and screaming, that's one thing. But I feel like bringing a nine-month-old into first class and having that baby scream while people have spent $20,000 for their seat. And maybe you could say like, oh, well, too bad, so sad. If they allow babies here, that's too bad. But yeah, that's why I'm my stance. But I don't like to end up in high pressure situations where my kid is ruining everyone else's life. I am firmly on the side of like, if the airline thinks there shouldn't be babies, then they should have that rule. But I t also totally understand that when you are that person. You wouldn't melt under the glare of like the business people on a six hour flight when your kid is screaming the whole time from an ear infection. I wouldn't more in business than I wouldn't coach. I mean, I, I, yes, I hate to be the one with a screaming kid for sure. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. It's too. <laughs> I don't like to raise the stakes. When I have kids, I like to go to like Joe's Pizza Shack at Video Arcade. I don't want to take my kids to like Le Gamin where everyone is like doo, 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 trying to eat their and my kids like, did you see the roadblocks? I like to be where my people are. I have totally done this. So the Disney World trip I did with my husband when my kids might have been like a little bit too young for Disney World. I actually talked about this in part one, but I didn't talk about this part. We were staying near Epcot and we couldn't get a babysitter. And I mean, why do we need a babysitter? We're like, it's fine. We'll just push them around in the double stroller till they fall asleep. And then we were only able to get in like same day dinner reservation to like the nicest restaurant at Epcot, which is the French restaurant. It's probably, Which is Le Gamma It's like probably like Gaston's or something like that. But yeah, it's like the nice, you know, white tablecloth French restaurant Epcot. So we wheeled in with our two kids, you know, in a double stroller that's like the size of a spaceship right in the aisle. And we sat down to a nice dinner and like they'll just sleep. It'll be fine. Well, let me guess. They didn't just sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Halfway through the salad, the first one sat up like Frankenstein, not like Frankenstein, like Dracula sitting up like the undead in the coffin, like sitting up with the 
eyes. So then I end up with that kid on my lap, that two-year-old trying to eat my like French onion soup or whatever. 20 minutes later, the other kid sits up like Bride of Dracula. And so then my husband and I had had to try to finish our dinner with these sleeping like large toddlers on us, ruining I mean, I don't know why you'd have your 15th anniversary dinner at Gaston's at Epcot, but people do. But many people do, for sure. Many people do. Yeah, I'm susceptible to that. I'm just like, I'd rather be at Joe's Pizza Shack and video games, and I don't ever want to be the person. I don't ever want to be the, what do they call it? The skunk at the picnic. I don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the takeaway I have from this. And like the person from the future, like you have time. You feel like you don't have time, but you actually don't have to take a two-year-old camping because you can take a five-year-old camping. Well said. Right? You have time for all this stuff. And I think it backfires when you're trying to rush into the making meaningful moments. Hashtag agree. We'll be right back. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And now, maximizing your mom skills for your getting back out there job resume. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. You survived twins. I have experience maximizing positive outcomes while overseeing simultaneous projects for diverse clients with opposing goals over multi-year periods. You fed three children regular meals. I oversaw purchasing and distribution of foodstuffs on a strict and limited budget. I successfully provided a variety of healthy options for varied diets, including special attention to allergens, on a three times a day basis for a diverse and demanding set of diners. You had kids who played soccer. I supervised transportation and logistics of equipment and food support needs, including schedule management. I provided emotional and tactical support for a high-needs competitive team. You had a two-year-old. 
I displayed an array of conflict resolution skills on a daily basis in a high conflict environment with a demanding and unreasonable overlord with consistent success. You kept your house clean. I directed and completed purchasing and implementation of supplies to maintain a clean and sanitary workspace in a potentially toxic environment in full compliance with OSHA standards. You were a mom. Seriously, people, I survived children, for God's sakes. Three of them. Do you really think there's anything your well-mannered corporate environment is going to throw at me that I can't handle? Give me the job already. This has been Maximizing Your Mom Skills for your Getting Back Out There job resume. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Amy, on the theme of You Have Time, Melissa went whitewater tubing with her children, thought it would be fun, memorable, and a first of many tubing adventures. Last minute, one of the employees that was giving us gear said, you should really wear helmets and life jackets. If we hadn't, pretty sure someone in my family would have gone to the ER or died. (laughs) Let me tell you, you got to be careful of tubing. And there is a place near where we live and we went in college and I remember it's like you sit in a tube and you float down a river and then there's rapids and it's kind of fun. We went in college and I went and signed my kids up and they called me and they were like, just so you know, tubing is extremely dangerous. And like we regularly have kids like break their ankles and legs. <laughs> I was like, OK, never mind. We're not coming. Thank God they called you. You got to be careful of those activities that are because I feel like in our American high litigation society, we just assume that anything we participate in is like fundamentally safe. <laughs> And then there are things you do that are not fundamentally safe. And I would say, I mean, there's tubing. Like, I know where my husband's family from in Texas. There's tubing where you just sit in a tube and, like, drink a beer and you just float down a river for the whole day. Yeah. There is some tubing that's, like, whitewater tubing. Be careful of that. Yeah. Like, if you go out to Colorado and they're like, it's level three. Yeah. Don't bring your kid. It's nature. No. Keep me away from nature. No, thank you. Chelsea says, did you, I've done this and it is, I know you have a story about this. Oh, I do. She got herself a gym membership when the kids were nine months and three years old. Heck yes, I'm going to use the baby weight, get a break. Canceled her membership promptly one month later because it took 197 years to get both kids out the door, only for there to be a 90 minute time limit at the daycare, which I never got to experience because I get pulled out of every activity 10 or 15 minutes in due to my nine month old scream crying the whole time. Yeah, this is something I would say it's a new world now. The pandemic has created such a burgeoning industry of truly terrific live streaming classes, including my sister's in-laws, that you really don't need to go to the gym babysitting. It's more trouble than it's worth. My kid, Give your sister-in-law a shout out. What's her biz? My sister-in-law, Diane Wilson, she has a business called Power Within Fit, powerwithinfit.com. And she does running coaching and she does classes. And anyway, you do not have to deal with the gym babysitter. Yeah. Amy and I have both had uh, bad experiences. It, it, <laughs> let me tell you that they don't hire the gym babysitters based on babysitting ability. It seems to be like if you're the worst employee at the gym, you get stuck with that gig because it truly is. It's a free for all. Your kids might be safer at home by themselves while you went to the gym. Not that I'm recommending that. Listen, I'm sure there are exceptions (laughs) as there are to every rule. I'm sure there are gyms where like it's really going great and they're on their game. But I would say that like most of the, especially when I had young kids, I was paying like $29.99 a month to go to the gym and like ufitgym.com Arama was not providing high quality daycare. Yeah. 
there was biting. Oh, yeah. No, my son had bite marks on his nose. That, like, I mean, he's in college now. And they're not there anymore, but they were there for a while. It worked out, but not right away. Yeah, not right away. We did talk about Disneyland, but Kate has a Florida outing that I thought was worth a visit. Similar, it has, a, you'll notice a theme from a previous backfiring. They went to Orlando, spent all the money for two days of ticket, hotel, and parking. Oldest had an absolute meltdown at Animal Kingdom. Later that evening, ran to pick up a pizza, snacks, and a bottle of wine for a hotel room while... She was gone. Her daughter had such a fit over some toys she didn't get at Animal Kingdom that hotel security was called to the room. (laughs) Her husband calmly opened the door and showed them the crying and screaming tired kiddo on the floor and said, we'd been at Disney all day. They seemed to understand and left. (laughs) By the time she got back with her, they've probably gotten those calls before. Right? It's another toddler who's had too much. Exactly. By the time she got back with pizza, the kids were asleep and they ate pizza and drank wine in a dark hotel room. See that? I like any time that hotel security is called because your child is going just that nuts. Can you imagine? It's like, we got another 706, right? They've got a code for that. (laughs) Exactly. You know, Disney has the code for like the kid who is going absolutely (laughs) mental, but you have to check on them because they also be like having their fingernails pulled out because there is that level of scream. I was just with my sister-in-law and her kids. And it's like, I forget that level that kids go to. Like they go to 11, you know, because nine is like, I'm extremely upset and I'm crying and 10 is all out. But that 11 level where it's like, it sounds like an exorcism is happening of a boiling cat. You're just like, how can a human being be making this noise? The high keening of an injured animal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's just you forget that they take it to that place. We had a lot of uh, backfiring attempts to do ballet during the pandemic. I feel like not letting go. Oh, my God. I feel this one so supremely. My daughter actually doesn't do ballet anymore, but never have I been happier than not having to do remote Nutcracker, which is like twice as complicated. Twice as complicated, or a lot of people did all the rehearsals. Cheryl says, this just in from the ballet school, even though the event is still totally canceled and no parents, grandparents, public can ever see it, they will be videoing (laughs) the show for posterity during Thanksgiving week. So please have your children in full tights, leotards, hair, makeup, ready to go from three to nine for dress rehearsal every weeknight, and then 12 to nine Friday, Saturday, Sunday for taping. The show is an hour and Cheryl's kids part is less than five minutes. At least when you're going and there's a show, it's still insane, but at least you're seeing it. Again, I feel like my theme is like I got out of all of this, but my kids first dance rehearsal, three and a half hours. Her outfit, I want to say, was $75. It was insane. It was like this beaded. It was nicer than my wedding dress. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> giant frilly tutu and sequence and then the hair bow that went with it and then I think maybe matching shoes it was so expensive and then she was like five I told her she couldn't wear makeup it was a huge fight all the other kids were like in full uh, toddlers and tiara you know way out of control makeup and then we go to this recital it was three and a half hours long. And literally, my kid was in it for six minutes, maybe tops. That's entering and exiting and was doing something that could in no world be referred to as dancing. She just was kind of walking around the stage and her shaking in this outfit. I was outraged. I feel like people knew this world in a way that I didn't. And they kind of said, oh, yeah, yeah, that was so cute. And I was the crazy person, like, cute. That was an outrage. I want my money and my time back. 
there is not like a dance teacher alive who doesn't wildly overestimate the amount of time that people want to spend watching kids dance that are not their own kids, right? Like when you, my daughter was in a three hour recital that she was in for three minutes. And it was because like the seniors who I couldn't have picked them out of a lineup. I didn't know who these kids were, had to do like eight or 10 numbers while I was waiting for my daughter to come out dressed like a monkey and do some song about monkeys. Oh, don't get me started. The seniors. And then at the end, we had the senior awards and we said something nice about every senior. And I'm like, my four-year-old just literally walked across the stage in a $75 outfit. Like I was like about to start booing and throwing rotten vegetables. <laughs> and I thought I'm going to get arrested at this recital because at the eighth seniors, you know, 86 words of encouragement. I was like, get me. And my kid was on the stage. Like I literally almost went backstage and dragged her off. Horrible. Keep your kids out of dance. Don't do arts and crafts. And whatever you do, don't engage with Play-Doh. Here's a classic one that I think that many of us will have recently experienced after a holiday family travel, deciding it's fine because the kids will sleep in tomorrow. So you can keep them up late while they're visiting because it's fine. Yeah. I mean, just heed our voices from the future. This will never happen. No. <laughs> if you keep your kids up until four o'clock in the morning, they wake up at 6 a.m. Yes. Yes. And if they usually wake up at 6 a.m., they might wake up at 5.45 a.m. Like there's just something about you've interrupted their cycle, their REM cycle. I feel like this is one of those things that you can't explain to people. Everyone will go through this particular, what do you call it? Dark night of the soul. Like everyone will at some point believe that if they keep their kids up later, they will sleep in and they will learn the hard way that that is not true. And then the next time you sleep over at your mom's house, you're going to have to explain it again, that if they stay up later, they're not going to sleep later. That's not how this works. Like It's something that everybody around you doesn't learn the first time, which surprises me, but it's true. Well, and I think this is brings us to Janet, who says traveling with friends who don't have kids. She met friends without small children in New York City to visit with a one-year-old. No changing stations in the bathroom, stairs everywhere, trying to get a sleeping child in a stroller down the subway station. Totally different schedule from friends who wanted to sleep in and go to dinner late. The hottest, sweatiest, most miserable walk ever over the Brooklyn Bridge. Three long, miserable days never again. Yeah. Sorry, Janet. <laughs> I wouldn't bring a little kid to New York City. Yeah. I would say in general, I mean, we've talked about this. I am a person who doesn't bring my kids a lot of places. Now, that is facilitated by the fact that I have good babysitters and then I have some family around and I have other people who I can foist my kids on. My sister has kids, so we trade our kids off. I'll leave my kids with you. You... I'm huge on not bringing my kids a lot of places. I mean, people always say, oh, did you, oh, were your kids with you? And I think, no, why would I have brought my kids to, you know, the Brooklyn art show? I mean, not in a million years. And I know people have different philosophies on this, but I am team never bring your children anywhere. That's not the zoo or like Pete's Pizza and Arcade. I mean, I'm realizing saying this, like I did have three babies in New York City, but I live here, right? So this was home for them. And this like routine, they take a nap in the stroller while we walk home for the park or whatever, like that was their their home schedule. And we might have had a nightmare if I had taken them to like somebody's farm for the weekend where they had to go do chores. I don't know, like just taking kids out of their routine. You got time. You have time for that. And I would put this in the category, Amy, I think I've said on the podcast before that every year a theme emerges for me. And I'm going to tell you my theme of the year because it fits with so many things. Wait, is this a theme for 2022 or the theme for 2021? 2021. This was the theme of my year. This was the thing that defined my year. Okay. And it is, this can't be fixed. Okay. And it is a thing that a friend of mine likes to write on Facebook to people when they write their problems. He just likes to write kind of in a funny way, this can't be fixed. And I thought, that's my theme of the year. It's recognizing that I will no longer engage 
with things that cannot be fixed and try to fix them. There is a temptation to explain to your friend in New York City, well, actually, we need these nap times and we can't go to places with Sarah, but mm-hmm. it can't be fixed. You just have to not bring your kids to New York City to visit friends without kids. You just have to, for me, not have Play-Doh in the house. It backfires because it can't be fixed. So my theme of the year, Amy, know what can't be fixed. Yes, and turn around. It makes me think of the woman who had to sleep in her car with her kid because he was waking everybody up camping. And then she woke up her husband at 5 a.m. and said, we're leaving. Like, we're not, this can't be fixed. We're leaving now. We're, we're not going to trudge on through this. It backfired. This can't be fixed is truly for me. Yes. That's right. It's not depressing. It's the key to happiness. I just find that when I look at situations and I'm like, well, this person is driving me crazy or this is such a frustrating thing and this dynamic that in my younger days, I always was like, it's time for the sit down right. talk. Right. Where we will, I will explain to this person what they're doing wrong. Can't be fixed. Guess what? My new theme, this can't be fixed. And so we are now going to make all sorts of different accommodations that don't allow for this situation to arise. I think we should put that on some merch. This can't be fixed, Amy. Merch coming soon. And so many backfires. We still didn't even get through all of them, but I think you get the general idea. Don't ever try anything with your children. It's going to go terribly wrong especially Play-Doh. Don't ever try something with your very small children that you could maybe just do next year instead. Or without them. Or without them. Yeah, another way to go. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Guys, it's a new year and you probably have some friends who are trying to start new habits and are interested in new things. And maybe you have a friend who doesn't really listen to podcasts and you mentioned this one and they're like, I don't really listen to podcasts actually. Grab their phone, subscribe to this show, share the joy. Wow, that's a bold ask, Amy. Grab their phone, but don't like mug them. Just tell them about the podcast. And if they're confused about how to do it, what you're saying is helpfully show them on their phone. People who don't listen to podcasts think that listening to podcasts is going to involve like an afternoon of watching YouTube videos and, you know, I don't know, a seminar. And we're like, no, no, no. It's just here it is. Or you just talk to your smart speaker. Gently show them the ways of podcasting and point them in the direction of what fresh hell. I think that's what we're trying to say. We would so appreciate it if you do. We'd love that. And with that, friends, we will talk to you next week. So long. Thanks for listening. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.